Mark, Mr. Manager. Hello, Mayor, members of Council. Um, good to be with you all. I'm going to run you through the agenda real quick, and uh, and then we'll jump into the budget work yes, sessions. Sir. So we'll take uh, you know whatever time we need, obviously, to work through the budget, um, and then. Um, Want to do a couple of quick pop-ups and i asked james rogers to jump up and do a little piece on the cigar factory so obviously a lot of activity there uh want everybody to know what's happening there and then um it's bike month may is uh, uh, bike month coming up in uh vast winter and i were talking i think this interesting things going on he'll jump up and just give you a, a quick little overview of that uh, and then john konak will talk about uh digstown we have a couple items that we didn't get to last week uh renovation of digstown and the Park Place residential overlay that I think y'all are pretty familiar with, but it's as, as much for the public as anything. And uh, Lady Newcomb will jump up and do that. And then we've talked a lot um, since I've been here about um, uh, tourism zones and some of the tools that are available to us, uh, uh, not only downtown, but in areas outside of downtown, particularly Ocean View and the Military Corridor. And I'm going to propose to you that we should, uh, uh, you all should pass an ordinance that expands, frankly, your tourism zone and actually have three tourism zones. And, uh, which then qualify projects for the Tourism Development Financing Program. It's a really um, attractive state program, and, and Chuck Brady will, will jump up and um, give you a little bit of information on that, and then we'll get that on the agenda. Yes, sir. So with that said, if you don't mind putting up the, the, the budget piece. So just to remind you of sort of, and we're really for tonight, I think, talking about general fund, and just to remind you of kind of how we, how we got uh, where we were in terms of the recommendation to you. You, you had a $835 million general fund budget last year. You had $5 million of one-time money. We, we backed that out, so you start with a base of $830 million. You then have stuff that's just, um, you got to do. It's the, the salary increases that you put in in January that you've now got to annualize, uh, contractual obligations, those sorts of things, uh, debt service. Uh, that added about $19 million to our base, so suddenly before you really do anything, you're at 849, I'll say $850 million. And so then we, we talked to uh, the department and um, the departments and, and uh, tried to get savings and things that we could do and went and, and literally had some across the board uh, cuts and, and uh, uh, were able to save some money doing that. We didn't take as much from public safety. Remember talking during the budget message as we did from some of the departments, but we, we got a little bit leaner and we did some things to be more efficient and, uh, and really saved ourselves uh, some pretty good money on uh, some debt service expenditures, uh, made some little more aggressive assumptions on, on vacancies, and, um, and that got us about $6.5 million worth of savings. And then from listening to you all and the things that we thought were important to you all, we, we put, remember, those enhancements back, about $6.5 million worth of enhancements that um, uh, we've talked about in the past uh, the last couple of meetings. Um, we have the undesignated fund balance of a couple million dollars, remember that? And, and um, uh, we were recommending $600,000 of that going to retirees, leaving you a million four and uh, made some best practice changes and all that put us at the 853 million dollar budget so just to kind of remind you where we so what i'll tell you is in, in my estimation uh, we've, we've got the organization at a point where um, we're giving pretty good service delivery actually really good service delivery and if you go back and cut the organization uh, much more you're going to you you will impact sort of the, the delivery of our core services and so um, so that that led us to um, the conversation that we had last, go, go back one more, Kimberly, uh, if you don't mind. Um, so what I'll talk to you now is just, uh, we do the revenue, Patricia and her team did the revenue re-forecast. Uh, I'm going to talk to you about that for a second. 
And then, frankly, the meat of this conversation is your conversation. We need some guidance. So we've got three big topics. Uh, remember the retiree supplement. I'll talk about this a little bit more. But they um, obviously they wanted a COLA, but had said if we do a, um, a one-time uh, bonus or supplement, uh, they'd like us to look at uh, really who's impacted a little tighter than maybe we did last year. So I'll talk to you about what our recommendation is there. And I think maybe uh, and then council interest, the things that we've heard you all talk about, but specific things that you all have raised individually, and I sent you those last night of that list, and just need to go through that list and figure out what's important to you and what you want to get in, and are there things on that list that are important enough to, to take other things out? And so we'll talk through that, and then we'll get into the um, school funding. So a lot of conversation, obviously, last meeting and subsequently about the relationship with the schools and our funding to the schools, and, and we'll talk through that, and I think there's we're good conversations with the, the chair and the superintendent about how we work together between now and um, and the fall and really tee ourselves up for a, uh, maybe a more uh, predictable fall than we had you know this, these last few weeks so that's our, our budget work session agenda so uh, Kimberly if you'll throw the next one up so reforecast the revenues I told you we're about eight hundred and fifty three thousand uh, we, we were looking at ambulance fees and thinking those things were not tracking where we, where we thought they would be tracking. Since then, they've, they've really caught back up, and we think that they, and our forecast is that they'll be uh, really at about where they were uh, this past year, this current year, which really allows us to add $250,000 to our revenue forecast for the budget. So kind of have that in your mind over here. Yes, go ahead. Ms. On Green. the ambulance fees. Mm -hmm. um, I was watching the news and there was one locality, I can't remember what locality it was, but they instituted a fee for multiple non-emergency phone calls. Okay. Non-emergency, we can't get whoever down the stairs. We need help doing whatever. And so they call 911 and they get the emergency people out there. And then when the emergency people get out there, the emergency people can't, you know, it's not right. an emergency. Do we have anything like that? You know, I, I don't, I don't know the answer. Yeah, the well, certainly, if, if, I don't know if you know the answer to that, but if not, we'll, uh, why, don't we, why don't you let us find out if anybody in the room knows? We do not have that. Yes. Okay. okay, do, excuse me, do we know, because this particular locality had multiple calls, and I don't know if it was just, you know, over, it, it was just um, a lot for that locality, but do, can we look at what, what our calls for service when it comes to the ambulance actually are and those that are non-emergency because I think they they ended up somewhere like five or six so if you made five or six a year after that that were non-emergency related calls then there was an additional charge because it tied up the you know the, the EMS people from real emergency so can we look at what our calls for service are and what you know what we're sending our people out for we can do that analysis. Okay, thank you. Should I just say that that would be a Virginia code issue, right? I would assume. D Dylan's rule and uh, our charter? Yes, it would. And, and my first impression is that we probably have the authority to do it. It's in the nature of a user fee. So that we, we do charge for the ambulance, and this is just a part of that cost. That's my first reaction, but you're correct. We'd have to do that analysis. It's another locality. Yes, it's Virginia's Chesapeake. One of those other localities locally here that did it. And Somebody's they decided already an exorbitant number. 
uh, completely non, let's get the cat out of the tree kind of, you know, calls. And that's just a waste of time. But the cat doesn't deserve to have. Not EMS, no. We'll do a little analysis. The animal people are coming I after me. Coming after me. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what some other communities are doing and see if there's, if there's logical to bring you some options there. So we'll talk about um, retiree supplement, if, if you could. So you remember, um, we, we told you that, or, or last year, um, uh, $600,000 supplement, and that $600,000 was divided among retirees that were making less than $30,000, which uh, and obviously the intent was to, to give it to the folks that needed it the most. I think an, an unintended consequence, the retirees were explaining to us, was that you had folks that maybe were, were had a good, a healthy salary, but weren't here very long. Maybe they were only here five, six, eight years. Um, and, and suddenly, they, because they were making less than 30000 in retirement, they might be getting other retirement from other places, they got the bonus, and that was an unintended consequence, I think. And so they said, you know, we really would like you to look at folks that, frankly, dedicated their professional careers to the city. And so we went and did some analysis, and we looked at a, what I'm showing you is our recommendation, but we've looked at every category of sort of those making thirty, forty, fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000, how many people are impacted, and how you might divide this up. Where we've landed, and I, and I think this makes a lot of sense, and it, it is true to the intent that, that you all have had, is that um, we use that same $30,000 threshold, and um, we say you need to have been in uh, what we're, you know, classified position, you know, you're, you're, you're a um, uh, non-exempt, essentially employed, but a classified position. And I will tell you, that's been a little difficult in terms of paperwork, so we may have some glitches if somebody comes back and says, hey, I think I, I, I qualified, they may be and they may be right, if they are, we'll, we'll fix that. But our preliminary analysis says, if you look at last year on the left, um, using the threshold, not using the 25-year threshold, you impacted 1,577 people. Um, the average benefit was uh, $17,000, and then on average they got three, or like on average, they all got $380 bonus, and um, uh, that was an effect, you know, it had the same effect as a one-time, you know, 2.1%. Our, our proposal, um, again, going to that 25 years, would impact a smaller number of people, but it would impact them more significantly. And their average benefit is $21,000, and uh, the bonus for them would be $857. So you're taking the folks that, in, that in our minds, um, need the money the most because they're making the least, and they dedicate, this is in all likelihood the most money, the, 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 the majority of their retirement, and you're giving them a meaningful bonus. So, so that's our recommendation to you, and happy to answer any questions. Could I ask you a question? Did you say it would be limited to the classified employees? Yes. Uh, um, so, so the unclassified employees are not a suspect class, so you just have to have a rational reason to treat them differently? Yeah, and, and the thought, again, the, the, the rationale was that these are um, folks that um, were made, made, in all likelihood, made less money and had less options in terms of retirement, and um, uh, I think that's it. It, wouldn't the, wouldn't that equally apply to the unclassified? I, I don't. It's not obvious to me why that label. If you're under thirty. Yeah, frankly, it's it's a little. It, it, we're taking it from the conversation we had with the retirees. So and sort of how they <coughs> wanted us to, to treat this. Do we have any? Do we? How many unclassified positions do we have that make under thirty thousand? Because I would assume that unclassified probably there's very few that are making under thirty thousand. Most. Of those are. Yeah. Um, and, and for the, I mean, like, and also for the benefit of people watching, can you just explain, like, the so it's essentially exempt and non exempt. So, in, in my mind, it's the folks, 
Greg's shaking his head at me. I'm about, I'm about to tell it to you wrong. So, um, <laughs> classified employees are protected by civil service. Um, Non-classified employees, for all intents and purposes, are in, in appointed positions. So generally, it's like a bureau manager or above-level position. So it's a higher-level management position. So they would probably be making more than thirty thousand dollars. They would have. Is it? They would have been making more than thirty thousand dollars. No, the, the 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 thirty is what they're making from the retirement today. Okay. So don't that, that doesn't run. And that was okay. the problem we got into last year. It didn't okay. have anything to do with what they made while they were working. Okay. It's what their retirement benefit was. Okay. That's what we're, we're trying to get away from. And we had people that were making, you know, good, heavy salaries that really didn't, I mean, I'm sure they were happy to get the bonus. And if I'm not mistaken, and I don't know if Juanita is here to correct me, the lowest grade that a classified, a non-classified employee is in right now is 16. And they have a minimum salary of around somewhere between 58 and $60,000. I, I can correct that, that everybody in the Department of Law is unclassified. And so I've got a runner, a receptionist, secretaries, and um, they are not making uh, a larger amount of money, which is why their retirement would be less. But um, I I'm not lobbying just for my office. I just didn't seem to be obvious what the rationale was. If each person is receiving 17,000 in retirement, one gets it and the other doesn't. But maybe it is rational, I just well, am do missing we, it. Do we need to make the distinction if we only use um, what their uh, retirement salary is? The retirement. I mean, if Bernard is saying he has secretaries and, and runners that are unclassified. And I think his his department is is very unique. Right. So to to cover the unique areas, why don't we just do it by the same criteria he had, being salary, retirement salary, and years of service. And no matter whether it they're classified matter, or not. Yeah. I mean, is that? It sounds like that's yeah, a very small that. amount. We can right? certainly do that. That Does way that you're give not you losing anything. Heartburn? No, absolutely not. And we we have the data, so it's easy enough to, to restructure it. Okay. So that so I'd love to get some concurrence. If that's if that's the will, then we'd like to check this box so that the so the adjustment um, is twenty five years, less than thirty thousand dollars in retirement compensation. We'll divide up the six hundred thousand dollars supplement. And I think that stays true to the intent, again of folks that dedicated themselves to the organization for the majority of their professional career and aren't getting a large retirement compared to their peers today. Will everyone still get to 857? It'll be a small, it'll be, it'll be, small, <coughs> it'll be a little bit smaller. Because we'll, it'll be, you'll, be, you'll have more than, in all likelihood, you'll have more than 700 people. Um, but uh, we'll bring, we can give you that number. But it's certainly going to be a lot less than that 1577 you did last year. Yes, sir, Paul, what you have is you have $600,000 set aside for a supplement okay. for uh, individuals who have 25 years of service and are making $30,000 or less uh, in their retirement. And so we, we will go from 700 probably to a larger number, but until they run those numbers, we won't know what the number of retirees are, right. but 600,000 is, is the number that we're gonna work with. Thank you. I think no matter what you do, you, you, you fixed the, the unintended uh, consequence of last year. Okay, so that's that's retiree supplement. So Kimberly, if you'll throw us up. So so um, last week, uh, prior, really, really since the, our submission, you've, we've had a number of council interests uh, that have come uh, into my office, um, and, uh, and and in no particular order. And so what what I've done is um, put them into one-time requests and ongoing requests. 
and um, uh, particularly the ongoing requests. Uh, what you heard is you've got about a quarter of a million dollars more in revenue than, than we budgeted for when we, when we made the proposal a couple of weeks ago. So kind of have that, that number in your mind. You start getting over that number and ongoing, then something's got to give somewhere. So have that in the back of your mind. And then the one-time requests um, are obviously a little uh, easier to pull off, but nevertheless, it, it's real money. So um, uh, the one time, I'll just read them for you, expansion of the historic property survey. Have a better understanding of what the historic properties are in Norfolk and bring somebody in to, to, help, uh, to help study that. I think Ms. McClellan actually wants to talk about, and we'll come, you know, let me run through the whole list, the, um, the community rating system and some things that we can do to, to make um, uh, things more effective on our end. Uh, yeah, I just ask a question about the historic property. Do you want to wait? Why don't you let me run okay. through them all Sorry. so you know what they all are, and then I think you've got, I think, frankly, some of you all are going to defend and advocate for some of these different ones. Um, uh, uh, projects in Ingleside, a variety of things that would happen in the Ingleside neighborhood. Um, uh, you've seen some emails the last couple of days and uh, last few months about uh, dredging on the Hague and some of the silting that's happening there, and, and to actually um, study uh, that uh, uh, effort, what it would take, the uh, what did you tell me, winter, the egg hadn't been dredged since the late, se early 70s? 1973. All right. And um, uh, the PACE program, which is uh, property assessed clean energy, which is something the Chamber's gotten real involved in. I know a couple of you all are interested in supporting that program and doing some analysis on that. So about $240,000 worth of, of one-time requests have come from you all. And then the ongoing requests. Uh, fest events, uh, about almost $200,000 worth of requests for some, some new positions and some overhead that they've got. And I think most of you all have, uh, I think all of you all have gotten a pretty good briefing on that. Uh, uh, Saturday hours at the Resource Center in Campus Dallas. So we don't have Saturday hours there, and so we think that's about $12,000 to provide those hours. Um, and then um, uh, the idea of using Volunteer Hampton Roads to come in and help set up a um, volunteer program. A couple of you have talked to me about um, funds for DART, um, and the original uh, proposal was to help DART. Obviously, had to vacate the, the Southern Arcade with the explosion, uh, moved into a different building. I think I think I think staff feels like uh, uh, obligations were, were commitments were made and honored to, to get them in that building. But I know that some of you all have been approached about giving them some additional funds. And then the big question, I think it, I think it probably makes sense to. Talk about these things real quick, and then the big conversation is schools. But I just, as you think through these things, just have schools in the back of your mind that that, uh, that anything you, you spend here is, is, is not available. To spend so, so yeah, so I think yes, you're absolutely right, and we'll go through them. Um, but I want to just make one observation for fest events, um, Doug. I think that we need to go ahead and um, fund that one hundred ninety-eight thousand uh, dollars for fest events, and so we can. I think we all can agree. Uh, that for what we get for the return of in, on the return of investment for what they give and, and what we receive not only as a, as a city but a region um, they do it with bare bones so the $198,000 requests uh, for administrative support and other resources I think we should we should find that. Yeah, so here's one of the challenge. One of the things I'd ask of you all, and we're still figuring each other out, is if you all can give us direction in, in what you want to do, let us figure right, out. Don't jump to the solution of how to get. Let us try to figure out how to get you. Absolutely, we'll look at that. Okay. But there may be other ways to get you there as well. You fund it, and you tell us how. Right. And then, um, as we go through the list, because we have schools to be to be 
to be determined. TBD. That's just yeah. a, that's yeah. a whole so, that's, so that's another I'm, slide. All right. So listen. Okay. You want to do another slide there? Yeah. I think okay. you. Yeah. I think what I'd like to do is okay. get some some right. just sense. Right. I just didn't want you saying, "Hey, let's go spend all this money and not." And, but but before we do, I think that we need to say something about schools before we we start okay. putting other um, priorities out there. All right. And so, as you know. Um, Tommy and I have been working with Dr. Boone and, and with, the, with the administration, um, and we have some ideas, and and so we can just talk about. And then we'll yeah. So here's what. So here's what we heard last week, <laughs> and, and it was really a, a variety of things uh, without consensus, which is fine, um, but uh, some interest in one-time funding uh, for things for, for for schools, and um, I would tell you that that is um, uh, depending on how far you go. That's that's attainable as long as you don't go to too big a number uh, that, that doesn't really impact service delivery because we've got some pots that we can look at one time obviously ongoing there was conversation about ongoing funds we want to some people want to give them money and and, and keep and keep that as an ongoing commitment but i agree with you i take it off the table you can move on um, all right um, and then, or or a combination of some ongoing and, and some um, some one-time monies, and then we talked. I, I think I've given you a fair bit of information about the the public amenities uh, fund balance and the Springer line. I've had some some uh, back and forth, and the challenge you've got there, you, if you do that, is you, you've got some commitments, and so by 2020, if you took the six million, it was, was a number that was thrown around. Frankly, the the general fund would be having to. You'd either have to move. Uh, commitments out of the public amenities fund or move general fund money in there and it just I would say to you if you want to give them one-time money there's other ways to do it that, that don't cause many issues. Smeagol? So um, and I and I do appreciate the conversation that Doug and the mayor we've we've been talking about this and I know um, six million sounds like a lot but it, it goes back to the kicking the can down the road and if we can get through this budget cycle with helping the school system get this uh, pay and comp, because the mayor and I talked about, you know, I, I think everybody around here is understanding, uh, understands what's going on with uh, teacher salaries. I think we've we've uh, killed that enough, and that there's a compression issue. And so the mayor and I know we've been working um, and showing our commitment to that. So I know that there's um, six million dollars available. Um, and some one-time funds that will help us get through this year where we don't have to go into the public amenities fund or raise taxes. Um, and then as we continue those conversations with the school system, um, it allows us then the opportunity to look at the uh, different uh, sources of money that we could do for ongoing funds with that. Um, and I know that um, Dr. Boone and Rodney have talked to Kenny. I had some brief conversations with Rodney about this and then presenting their um, their redesign efforts and I think by October we should have a better handle of what they're going to be proposing um, as far as their redesign um, and it allows us then to also look at some accountability measures that I know have been a concern uh, for some council members and making sure that we're seeing some <coughs> consolidation efforts and some other things but I think that um, in your conversations with Dr. Boone and me and, and Doug that it seems like there's that we can make this happen uh, for them. And I, the school board uh, members that I've spoken to have said that they are tr truly committed to the paying comp um, part of their request. And so it's not just giving them the six million and then all of a sudden they're gonna take that and go buy a bunch of school buses with it. This is truly um, their number one priority 
is the paying comp. And I think, Kenny, you can agree that that's what they, they said uh, to us. Could you expand, Kenny, to, so people can understand about this commitment that we've drawn up with the school system so they understand that by October, you know, Doug has done this. Um, and I can talk about it a little bit, too. Yeah, great. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. So um, as they, we developed the funding formula, um, it, in order for us to sustain and support them, we're looking at the core instructional programs, uh, facility utilization, that consolidation plan, um, and including improvement of, um, of some buildings, and then um, strengthening specialty programs, um, which is one of our efforts to try to bring families back in the Norfolk, um, and then ensuring equity for all where the points that were made. I don't know if that helps you. Yeah. So that's a, and that's a, that's great stuff. Here's a list that we had, had listened to you all. It's I think covers all the same things. The specialty programs I didn't have on here, yeah. but, but we'll get that on here. And um, uh, obviously we've, we've put a lot of money in this CIP to start talking about Newton Creek. Education is going to be critically important in that piece. So I would say we want you know collaboration there. For for us, and I said this to to, to Dr. Boone. You know, we, we would have this agreement. It's not for us to look over her shoulder as much as it is for us to be in the room so that when we get to October, we know we, we're, we're well versed in where we're, what it is they're trying to accomplish and what they're trying to do. And we've all um, uh, been at the table together to make that and happen. The, and the school district is focused. They have a focus. It's literacy, leadership, and rigor. Right. It's now they're in the process of defining those. And I think that's part of the accountability plan. Preston, you know, I don't know, for those who have been on council for a while, we've seen multiple accountability plans over the year with a new superintendent and new school board giving them that opportunity to define that is, um, you know, and I, I, it's by October, I think, is when we were told that would happen. Yes, sir. I, I think I, I want to add is that school, uh, school improvement or student achievement and greater success for all, all of our schools is part of this, is part of this, and, um, and we can do this. Uh, Mr. Manager, without raising taxes and without reading the public amenities fund. Correct. Okay. Correct. Right. I just have a question. When we talk about equity for all schools, what does that look like? Is there a detailed plan to, to address what equity for um, all schools? Because the failing schools are your Title I schools. So the city and NPS will work together on this collaboratively. So this is not something that. Um, we will just be given by MPS. This agreement is the city of Norfolk and our public schools working closely together uh, on all of these initiatives, and something that we have not done in the past. But I think there's an opportunity too with the um, Lifelong Learning Commission to look at the poverty aspects. Um, so we're, we, it's already been identified through the Poverty Commission, but now taking that into the education realm and seeing how we can use community partnerships possibly to help in some of our neighborhoods and bringing in um, educational programs to help offset some of what we can't do in the school system um, and help uh, with that, whether it's tutoring centers or whether it's colleges partnering with us, um, looking at, um, you know, there, there's so many different avenues we can look at. I think that commission would really be able to look at that issue in particular, you know, for Super Ward 7. Um, you know, and, and looking out for our kids there and developing maybe some innovative programs as a city um, to assist with that. One of the things that I um, 
would like to just remind everybody and not just everybody around the room is that we have had all these different conversations about this plan and that plan and the superintendent and that superintendent. And more than likely, any one of these plans with any one of these superintendents would have worked. And we really need, I think, the patience of the public because there is nothing that it's like, you know, there's no pill to make you lose 20 pounds in two days. And there's no, I know, there's no pill for that. And there is no pill, there's not a quick fix. So if we, I think that with this council and with the current school, school board, that we're coming to the table, we're talking, we're working together in a way that we haven't done before. And, um, it's not something that's going to turn things around just because, you know, overnight. It's going to take time because all of these things have to be implemented. They have to be taught. And we just, I think we need to make sure that we're all on the same page. If we're getting the support of the school board and the, and the school board um, and the public school system is getting our support, that we set realistic expectations for the public, especially when it comes to outcomes and how realistically we can do these things. Great. All right, Ms. Johnson, do you want to finish your thought? Oh, no, I'm, I'm finished. Right. I just have my list so, of money. So, Mr. Manager, I wanted to get that number on the table, uh, that $6 million, because that's a real number, okay. and then we can build from, from there. We have a commitment uh, uh, for fest events, commitment for the schools. <coughs> and so you can build from there, sir. Okay. Yeah. Is, 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 I'm sorry. So my, my question is, uh, based on the information that you sent out last night, that um, you had a list of uh, cutting as an option for funding these, cutting ongoing enhancements. Doug started to explain that Yeah, to with me. the list. I think, we, yeah. I think some of us misread yeah. that when you sent that out. So here's what, that's what I want to start was kind of how we got to, to the number we got to. So the, it, we got to that, um, now I'll get my number, 843 or 840. And then the enhancements that we put on was that was the list that I showed you, that six and a half million or so of items that weren't in last year. And, and what I was saying in the beginning was, if you were gonna go for some of the some cuts or trying to find money, I'd advocate that you not cut basic services. And, and uh, But anyway, it's all. So those are not on the table of that list that you so it, it read originally like uh, we were going to have to trade in police vests to give money to the schools. That's what, that's what some of us were talking about. So, when we saw that. so, so Tommy said to me earlier today, I went, I don't think that's good. If that is, I have an issue. Uh, no, no, so Andrea, we're, um, what we just discussed does not include raising taxes, does not raid the public amenities funds, nor does it cut uh, sure. core services, funding and resources for our core services. So we... Yeah. All right. Six is one time or ongoing, or you want three, us to determine it's that? It's a blend. So right, three, million, three million should be ongoing, and three million should be one time. Okay. All right. Thank you. All right. So I think we can go back. Thank you, everybody. A couple of slides. You know what kind of frame? What? Paul. I actually love it. See? All right. Um, yeah, the, the kids. Thank you. That, this is. For students. Um, all right, so I'm, I'm going to put this back uh, to, to you all. This is your list um, of the things that uh, were, were not in our proposal that I've heard that, um, that you all have interest in. We've already obviously covered fest events at the top right. And I, Doug, I just have one question about fest events. I know we're giving that money this year, but are we going to sustain that 
because it's if, if yeah, Karen that, goes out and has to hire yeah, all these people yeah. with that money, yeah, that, and then next year that's we continuous. Okay. Yeah, this, I, this, this, make, I know this is ongoing, ongoing yeah, yeah. but I want to make sure that that's we have funding source it, for that. And just to clarify, so it really suck for Karen to have to hire all those people. And, and, and just to clarify, um, one of the reasons we're doing this is because we're asking Fest events to do more outside of the downtown area in our neighborhoods and in Ocean View, etc. Correct? That's correct. Okay. It also, though, brings us back to where she was originally. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, it's down so from 20 people to 12, and it's just, I mean, I don't know how they do what they do with 12 people. It's unbelievable. So you've got, just remember the first we opened with, you've got 250 in revenue we didn't anticipate having. Um, you just spent 180, I mean, two, uh, 185 of it. <laughs> so two things. Tell me about this expansion of historic properties. What is that? So again, these are y'all, so I think that was fun to talk through or, or Mr. Because, you know, we did this when we had the count, the preservation uh, committee, and they went out and identified all the historic properties. We also have a historic foundation that is identified all the properties. So I'm, I, I don't know why, aren't we a little redundant here? So Terry, the last time they've done a survey was in 1996. So there are a lot of properties now that have come on What board. was the HAPSI that we, we did, was, we did. it just was disbanded three years yeah. ago? So HAPSI didn't do a land study. So what about they the, wrote chapter nine. so we're talking about what the city has done, not what different city foundations have done. Sure. So city this, groups. So basically this would, uh, and I, you could expand those people, those properties that would be eligible for tax credits. I'm all in favor of that. I'm just so saying, it just seems like we've be. already done it. So what's the cost? What is, where's the cost come from? So, so again, these, these are y'all. So I mean, that, not to say that we won't do lots of research and figure them out, but right. this is this is the list coming from council. No, what I'm saying is, where do you get a hundred thousand? So, what's the, uh, what's the oh. cost? So, so what I got, the number I got was from Paige Pollard, and um, potentially has some CDBG matching funds, and it wouldn't just be one; it would be spread out over probably a period of several years. Right, but so what's the cost? Are you hiring more people? Oh, uh, no. you probably would contract out to have this done because it's a whole expensive. Um, you know, to go and do these things. I just hope we're taking advantage of community groups that have, you know, would love to do this. What do you have something? Um, what community I, groups? The I think, think we have something. There's the same ones that come So, Lenny, Lenny, first. In your state and federal districts, you have surveys that were done back in the 1970s to establish that those areas were eligible to be listed and for contributing structures. We have not updated those surveys since they were originally done in the 1970s. Oh, sorry. And it is time. There's a lot of homes. So the end. cost is the consultants then? It, it's to get staff and to do the delay. Okay. All right, great. And then the other thing that I said was this for the DART Center? That was one time funding. That's yes. not ongoing. Um, I got it on the wrong side. I'm sorry. Yeah. That is one time. You know, yeah, I assumed time. it was ongoing. Okay, yeah. so that moves to one, one, time. one time. Okay. Okay. All right. So, uh, um, Mrs. Johnson was next, and Ms. McCullough. The Advanced Community Rating System, exactly. I passed Perfect out. I passed out some, a little cheat sheet to explain it to you guys. Um, Norfolk participates in the National Flood Insurance Program and the Community Rating System. Um, we currently have a rate of eight, and what that means is a 10% rate re reduction. 
on all the flood insurance policies for our citizens who are in the flood insurance program, which is great. Um, so currently we save a little under, uh, for our homeowners, a little under $800,000 a year. Um, however, we could improve that. We could improve that to a 20% reduction or 25% reduction, which would equal between 1.6 to $1.9 million a year savings. Um, and if you saw the recent New York Times article talking about flood insurance rates and how difficult that is in our area, I think this, this makes a lot of sense. The challenge is we have a staff in our planning department that is one-third of the size of what it was in 2008, and we have a floodplain administrator who's amazing, but I just don't think has the time to spend on this. And as I understand in talking with FEMA folks last week and others, this takes a lot of work to focus on this improving this rating. So my recommendation is I think it's a smart move for taxpayers' dollars to spend money to contract out uh, approximately $50,000, which we could possibly get an $800,000 return for our citizens. So is this for the entire city? Yes, ma'am. All homeowners. And we have, uh, we currently have, not all homeowners. All homeowners that are required. Right. Well, I have flood insurance, and I'm, I'm not required. Right. But I mean, especially those that are required to have flood insurance. Right. So right now we have, uh, I can tell you how many flood homes. We have um, a little under 12,000 homes who have plans. Um, the average premium is $786, but I know homeowners who have flood insurance plans that are thousands of dollars, my flood insurance is $400 because I'm not in a flood You're not required. But this to me is one way that we can demonstrate that we're working towards addressing our flood issues and trying to mitigate some of the uh, cost to our citizens. Didn't we just do this something somewhere? So we've done a lot through the planning commission over the years to reduce we the number as much them. as we can. Yeah. We've done okay. Adopted a lot of uh, rules and regulations that allow us to have credits already. But the goal is to get as many as possible. And, and what I'm just saying is, similar, you know, we've done a lot of cuts over the years because of the recession, etc. And we're asking our staff to do so much more. Um, and I think this is an area where, just, you know, they're up to their eyeballs. And I think it makes sense to to contract out and find some additional assistance here. And I've talked with George Homewood about this and asked for his input. I think he's on board as well. And Martin, Martin understands this pretty well, so if you have anything to add. Uh, it's a good investment. We can find the money. It makes the sense to all the sense in the world. Again, we've been working on different ways to get this number as low as possible through city staff for years. And uh, we, you know, inch by inch, we've, we've gotten slowly where we are today, but I think we can do some more. Where is the federal government on eliminating their subsidy? Because I understand it, that they were lower over, their plan was to lower over time the amount that they were contributing to the overall flood, which is going to mean that flood insurance is just going to go from one hand to the next, it's going to go from federal government to homeowners, you know, so where are they in all of that? Is, is where are they, where's federal government in their plan? Let me. Where is the federal government in their plan to eliminate or reduce their subsidy to the flood insurance program? Because there was a, there was conversation about they were going to be paying less and homeowners were going to be paying more. So where is that? The, the flood insurance program is about $28 million in the red. And they started several years ago 
bills that went through Congress. One of them was called the Bigot Orders, the other one that followed was called Grim Orders. And they both attempted, the Grim Orders was the name of uh, the representative. They attempted to establish a method of bringing flood insurance to an actuary level. It is extremely subsidized right now. Right. What we do know is that the first one took off and there was an outcry. Representatives went back to Congress. They slowed down the increases. But right now, flood insurance is going to be rising. Um, it is a subsidized cost as the federal government starts to look at their financial affairs, which we hope they will do someday. Uh, they're going to find that they have to address this. It is our understanding that everybody who has flood insurance who's in a flood zone, and particularly people who have had claims, their rates are going to go up somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 17 percent a year, somewhere like that. Okay. So, so mine is going up. I'm in, I'm in a flood zone. I've never had a claim, but it's starting to go up. Right. Ours is too. We're in a flood zone and we're required to have um, flood insurance, but um, yeah, it, it's going up as well. So yeah. Okay. I just wanted to know where they were. Um, we just recently, uh, the announcement came down in Georgia because we're going to forward this to you all. Uh, we've gone from a uh, level nine to a level eight. We've gone from 5% savings to 10% savings. We were not satisfied with that. We expected to go seven. Mm -hmm. We argued back and forth with FEMA. They've given us a chance to resubmit right on top of the announcement so that by the end of this year, we could be at a seven to a 15% discount. Um, so it's kind of trying know, to net neutralize a little bit of that or balance out what's going away with the savings, or what's going to increase with the savings that we're giving them to try to, so that it's less of an impact on the residents. Because if the, if, if the price goes up and we get no additional savings, then the price goes up. But if we get additional savings and the price goes up, they kind of balance each other out. That's, that's and, okay. And, and you actually will see on your flood insurance policy, when you get the bill, it actually will show 5% or 10% reduction as a result of participating in the CRS program. Virginia Beach doesn't participate in the CRS program, by the way. So we were very forward thinking, thanks to our planning staff, to get us into this a while back. Um, and it's not just a matter of filling out paperwork. We actually have to do things and we have to, right. you know, FEMA has some very specific areas. Um, the, the, hot, the best rating in the region is Gloucester, and they're at a rating of six. I believe that's the case. Uh, Gloucester's at a six. Gloucester's a six. I don't know how they do that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Baltimore's at a five. That's sort of the gold standard. That's where we would like to be yet. At any rate, so I think this this makes a lot of sense for who we are, what we're doing, and all the, the, the challenges that we face. And it is a citywide program. So, Mr. Manager, what's the staff recommendation? So at this, so, well, here's the you got my budget. Right. So I so these things weren't in there. Doesn't mean they're not worthy. And, and so this is you've got a quarter of a million dollars of, of new of new revenue. And so part of what I think you're doing right now is 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 advocating for a handful of things that you think are, are merit being in the budget. Is that are you also counting the 1.4 undesignated funds that you? That's a that that's so a mail. You have 1.4 plus 250. Well, 250 of ongoing, right. 1.4 of undesignated. Correct. Right. Okay. Correct. So if you wanted to spend that money as part of the 1.4, you can do that. Ms. Johnson. Okay. So
So, Mr. Manager, I'm glad that you clarified that. All right. And we could um, address my list with my colleagues and everything so that we're all clear on how much money is available um, for, for, for us. And some of the things that we're interested in are not on this list right now. So that is where we're going towards right now. <coughs> so, Doug, let's, let's fund this, okay? Fund the CRS. Yes. Okay. okay. All right, move on. Can I ask a quick question about the funds for DR? So I think some of us have been getting letters that um, public arts has been completely cut. I don't know where that came from, but then we got another letter here that said that it wasn't that it was completely cut, but it's just not at the so level. So is that the funds for DR? Is no. that what that letter was asking for? I don't. I don't know. It's, okay. But here, let me, let's talk about public art, and then let's talk about DR. Okay. So, you, so you've got, um, and Greg will correct me on the numbers. Four hundred and forty-five thousand dollars of um, committed money for public art, right? Appropriated money. How much? You, you four hundred forty-five. Okay. Um, you've got another nine hundred and eighty-nine thousand that is available. So essentially, you've got four years worth of public art that hasn't been identified. Um, uses for which have not been identified. Okay. So somewhat like Complete Streets that's got a pot of money still there, we didn't fund additional money for public right. art in this right. budget. Let's right. spend the money, let's spend the million dollars you got right. rather than putting new money in. Right. So, so that's, so that's I, public art. I know we don't want to get into a huge debate, but why isn't the money being spent? Because there's no public art down in Ocean View other than they just painted the but there's places all throughout the city. I think Ward's Corner could probably use some more. Well, but why are, but how do you, I guess my question is, how do, you, how do you get on the list and the request public art if it's sitting there? Right? It's you know? not just sitting, I mean, they're, they're working on it. I mean, so for example, they have, um, they've been working to bring artwork to the airport for two years. Right, I saw that, an yeah. For that. So it's, it's an ongoing process. It is there was and money that was appropriated for the city plaza. Right. A long time ago. Right, yeah. That continues. Is that still in that eight Yeah, but well, what happened was the pro the proposal that was uh, talked about was not passed, and so now they've gone back to the drawing board to get another um, public art for that plaza. So that money still remains. So why don't you let us you give you a... talk to your, your commission and, and yeah. raise the issue that you're interested in having art and... Wherever. So we'll give you, just like we did on the public amenities fund and some of these other, we'll give you a little briefing paper on public art and tell you kind of what you got and where, yeah. where you're going and what the process is. I think in general, is. we, as, I mean, I'm speaking for myself, in general, I think it's a, it, it adds to the quality of life in Norfolk and having public sure, right. art, um, but not at the detriment of other things. We have to look at everything, you know, for, right. you know I, I also don't think that we should have insulation falling from the ceilings of our schools. Um, and you know, drip buckets everywhere. So I just, it's, a, it's a balance. It know? just bothers yeah. me when there's a rumor that we we took all of our money away, and that's right. not true. It's not accurate. You it's know, just zeroed out for right now. Yeah. It's not, we're not adding to it this year like right. we have in the past. You got almost a half million encumbered and almost a million. Yeah. Okay. So you got plenty of money. Explain what Dr. Ridley's was suggesting. Is just because the money's there doesn't mean you just go spend it this year. It that's takes right. multiple right. years for those right. things right. out. Right. So if you stop the stream now, you know, there's a year down the road from now where they're not going to have money to do a project. And so yeah. I think that's where they're, they're more concerned. And, and I do think, you know, we made a commitment years ago to, to fund public art as a city, and I think that's important as well. So that funding is not unlike the public amenities fund. Right. That 1% is, is uh, you know, we've made that promise, and uh, I think it's a strong one. All right, Mr. Manager. 
the, the budget and how we're spending money, how much money we're spending and where it's, it's coming from because that's something that we said we really wanted to take a look at um, how we spend our money and where um, our money is going. So that's what I want to say. And as soon as, Mr. Mayor, you're ready after Dr. Wibley um, speaks and you want to know what else needs to go on that list, I am prepared. All right, Dr. Wibley. Not to be a doggy downer, but I still have, I brought it up at our retreat, I still have great concerns about our risk fund. I feel like we have some, and I think we've all heard today um, about some ongoing potential uh, big chunks of um, risk and I know we've matched what the level we thought was appropriate but um, I don't know you know I'd like somebody's opinion on that if I'm the only one that's being uh, negative but. Okay. Mr. Riddick then Mrs. Uh, Johnson. <coughs> um, Dr. Whitley I, I agree with you one of the things that I was going to mention uh, along those lines but not to you know try to get funding for it is uh, the percentage of our retirement fund is funded. We got mixed messages from, uh, was it, uh, deep, was it? Uh, the actuary? Yeah. We got mixed messages from the actuary and also mixed messages from the uh, Jones administration when they left. And while I think, well, I know I did, think that we were funded, you know, above 83 or 84%, I'm concerned that we might only be funded between 79 and 82 percent. It's nothing that we can do, I don't think, right now with, with the money we have now. But it's just like what Dr. Whipple is saying about our risk management fund. Certain things we had to get prepared for. And uh, I think this is one of them along with what Dr. Whipple is saying. Okay. All right, Ms. Johnson and Ms. Graves. Um, the, rest, the risk management uh, fund, I do think that we really need to, to, to look at that. We have some things, um, and you just don't know what the possibilities um, are, and we have always been prepared. Um, that is one of the reasons why we received that AA standard is because we're prepared in advance. Um, when we look at our budget, we look at our reserves, we look at the risk um, management um, fund, um, and I think we need to really revisit to ensure that the money is there that we need for risk um, management. I, I, I really I am concerned about the risk so, management fund as well. Yeah, so at some point um, we will get a uh, maybe an update on what's the potential or what's out there uh, and what we have. So Mr. Manager, if you could schedule for us to know what we have left in, in, in the fund and um, what You've got, got the yeah, we have to do that. You got the five million in the reserve. You've got and help me with my numbers a, a policy from uh, on a claim from three to ten million. It's not in place yet. No, they will put it so we'll put that in place and then you've got the manager's contingency. But yeah, we're happy to have that conversation. Economic downturn. What, uh, five, another five. It's five. I think it's five. It's five. Yeah, it's five. Five in each of those. So we have approximately five, 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 and a policy that is three to ten. So, so, Greg, why don't you jump up? Mm -hmm. If you, if you, if you, you are comfortable. Tax raise, If that were to happen. So right now, uh, in our reserve, five million in the economic downturn, five million in the risk management reserve, 
Um, and then the, 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 uh, the policy that, uh, that uh, the manager is speaking of is an insurance policy uh, for risk that would go on top. Basically, the way it would work is any claim that came in, uh, the city would be responsible for the first $3 million. Uh, between 3 and 10, insurance policy would pick up. Anything 10 or over, the city would be responsible for. But that would not cover anything that is currently in process. So we're looking at purchasing Correct. a policy not to this take us out of being fully self-insured. But as you just said, anything that's occurred to date wouldn't be insurable. But, Anything that we've been notified about, is will that be insurable? Because you have to disclose that. Most policies are, are written on an occurrence basis rather than a claims-made basis. I don't know what we're looking at, but the common po policy is based upon whether the occurrence happened with the, within the policy period. Got it. I think we need yeah. So that's what, Mayor, so I hear you. We'll give you an update. And um, uh, the good news is it would be one-time money. All right, Mr. Manager, what's next? Oh, Mrs. Graves, yeah, I'm sorry. I would like, um, because we do have some things that are coming down the pipe, so I would like, I think I would like this offline, like a worst case scenario. Okay. All right, that's what we would, you said, that's what you would get. Yeah. I, well, I mean, I know what we, I mean, I know we have, but like a worst case scenario. Okay. Mr. Thomas. Well, I'm going to follow. Um, Ms. Johnson, she's got some additional things you would need to add. Okay. Okay. I'll, Once I'll we finish this list, then we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll add on. So the only ones you haven't talked about are the um, uh, resource center, the tech, the volunteer, the Hague study, and. So do we need yeah. to talk about those and get it out of the way? We'd like to. Yeah, yeah, this I think you gotta. You gotta, you gotta give me some direction yeah, on whether these things. Another list. You want to add? Okay. So my list involves, which will also take care of the city's initiative as well as the school initiative with the focus on neighborhood development and improvement. So with that request, <coughs> I'm looking at approximately, and I can break it down for my colleagues and everything, approximately $350,000, which then would include $100,000 for blighted properties and acquisitions. Um, a $100,000 for business facade and improvements. Um, we're always talking about what could we do with our existing businesses to help them get involved with um, the communities. And a good example is it's not one stop anymore, but it's over in Fairmont Park. Mart, it's a mini, it's what not is a mini it? mart. It's a, it's, um, yeah, it's owned by Mr. Zanarula. Right. So that, was, that is a perfect example. Where is that? Which one? Right, Tiny, Tiny, Tiny Giant. Giant. You remember the old Tiny Giant, yeah, Mr. They a lot Ritter. of money in that they, um, they did, along with what we did to help them. So we did a match. And we did yeah. a match. A, a wonderful example of that. And then there are approximately four other communities within um, our cities for Ward 3 that have not received any economic or neighborhood development or an improvement. And those are about four various communities at $50,000 each. So if you don't mind, 100000 for blighted properties, two hundred for the, call it other neighborhoods, and then fifty for the facade improvements? Is that what you're saying? 100000 100, sorry. 100000 right. so, yes. So, right. so 400 altogether. Maybe can you tell me the four neighborhoods that you're looking at, only because 
um, last year we set a plan to focus on um, the 20, um, what's the year, 2030 plan, yes. um, and focusing on those corridors, because I was going to do a small request for East Little Creek Road for similar to the business facade improvement, okay. 100000 for that, but that's a focus for, in that plan, there's specific uh, benchmarks if you go in the appendix of the uh, 2030 plan that sure. are targets. So I just want to make sure that, like, if you, if you want to give neighborhoods this 50000 if they're not in the plan book, you're, it's difficult to then identify projects. So then you're getting into, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but you're, then you're getting into a civic week. You, you go to them and you say, I've got 50000 for you, but they haven't benchmarked or said what they want to spend that money on. So is are those neighborhoods that are, I know you have, there's plenty of neighborhoods in Norfolk um, that are in that plan, but are those in Ward 3? Well, yes. But Tommy, also, um, what the manager um, and James Rogers is working on is strategic comprehensive plans with all of our 120-so neighborhoods that will be uh, developed with and, and, and by the, the community, and it'll be their plan uh, and so we don't know whether it'll be 50,000 or 100, because we have not identified all of those uh, right. goals. And, and, and so that's something that we're going to work on as well. So every every neighborhood should have eventually a, a neighborhood plan or a strategic plan, a comprehensive, comprehensive plan. Right, but we, we haven't gotten to all of those neighborhoods, like you said, that has a, a plan plan but there are areas that they are working on within their community that addresses what we committed to as far as neighborhood development and economic development and improvement. All right. All right. Um, is that your list, Ms. Johnson? Is it? That is my list. Right. Thank you so Mr. very Thomas. much, colleagues. Uh, well, more than half of my list we've already identified and taken care of tonight. So the only two things left in, in I'll just ask Doug if you can just review these and get back to me maybe when we meet next week. Um, I'd I'm wondering what it would cost to back up. Uh, when the economic recession occurred, um, we had to dial back on the hours at our rec centers. And I'd like to see uh, Sunday hours at the Fitness and Wellness Center uh, expanded if, if that number is not too ridiculous. So maybe if we can look into that and find out what that would look like. Daryl's not here. Is he? Is that, Darryl, is that under Daryl Christian? Uh, it is under Daryl. He's uh, currently they're uh, dedicating the room for his parents right. in Dinwiddie. So, so can can you yes, wonder? Can you yes. get that question answered? We can. And, and, and that's something that we should try to do, because wellness and fitness in that area. On Sundays. On Sundays, yeah. It's open on Saturdays. Of course. The other day off, it's pretty much go. Exactly. All right. And the other other request that I, I've received that seems reasonable to look at would be sister cities. See if there are additional requests or something to come for. They asked me for fifteen thousand. <coughs> That's what they asked employee. me for too. One, That's on my one list. Five, fifteen thousand. Fifteen. One five. One, one time. Ongoing. Ongoing. I think because it'd be an employee. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Great work. I love sister cities. All right, Mrs. Graves. Um, I am asking to add to the two hundred and fifty thousand we put aside last year for Pebble Hall's Rec Center. I, I'm, what I'm trying to do here is um, over the course of time so that we don't have one huge hit to the budget, we have to accumulate land and build 
um, a recreation center. So I'm asking for 250000 for to, to add to what we already have for them. And um, I did OU with Sister Cities with the 15000 They asked me for that as well. So I, I did that. Um, and I support Mamie's request as well. All right, so we're heading in the wrong direction, but I love these <laughs> things. <laughs> we have another meeting. <coughs> you, you said you I was feeling good around 510. <laughs> you, have, you have the undesignated fund. Absolutely. You just here. designated it. I'm here. Yeah. Y'all have caught on that one time feels better than ongoing. And uh, just to go back, I, um, Andrew and I discussed earlier about East Little Creek Road and going back to our commitment and having some uh, 100000 available for um, the facade improvement um, so that we can start uh, going back. We used to have that fund, and I think it just wasn't advertised well, so the city felt that the fund needed to go away because it wasn't being utilized, but that was also during the economic downturn, uh, and so businesses weren't interested in improving. But, um, you know, if we can offer 25000 here or there, you know, to a business and match grants, I think it's a great tool that economic development and we can use. And we've been doing a great job with partnering with more businesses and uh, on East Little Creek Road to assist with that. And that's one-time funding. And for, what yeah. has the total <laughs> 100,000. <laughs> John cheap today because y'all helped the schools out. Little so Creek Road. East Little Creek Road. Okay. Yeah. Mr. Thomas? Facade improvements. I think we ought to look at that program make sure there's some sort of metrics. Uh, I, I don't want to rule Lord and owner who has the ability to upgrade his property right. and just doesn't do it and then accept city money. So let's come up with some sort of metrics to say, okay, this is in an area where they need the help to push things forward. And that was what I was going to ask the question. Could we get um, a presentation? Because sometimes that's very helpful when we're talking to people about what the facade improvement grant does there. It used to be a, a, a enterprise zone where there were identified you know, businesses and it was a match. And so if you, you spent 20, you got 20 or some version of that. But also there are businesses that fell outside of that enterprise zone that needed help too. And I'm all, I'm all for if we give money, they give money, not just us giving money. Right, and that's what this is. Yeah. This is a matching grant. Yeah, but, but it and, has to be needs-based. But Chuck, is it okay if I call on Chuck? Chuck, <clears throat> we talked about this four or five years ago when, when they, I think, East Little Creek Road used to have 75000 but it was utilized, and everybody who utilized it, where nobody took advantage of the city on that. It was all matching whether, you know, there were renovations that maybe wouldn't have been done if we didn't come in with the match, because it kind of tipped them over. They were thinking about it, but they didn't have the extra 10000 so we came in. But So, Mr. Manager, we're, we're running so a few minutes okay. behind. So, so, so you've got um, some quick math about uh, $800,000 of, uh, of uh, one-time requests and a quarter million or so of, of ongoing requests. Um, okay. I think what I'd ask of you is, ma'am. Can I just say that I'm taking one request off the table? Absolutely. Take all the time you need. <laughs> so, well, I very much think it needs to happen. I've actually passed out some pictures of the Hague and how awful the silty problem is there. 
and the green algae blooms that are happening. Um, uh, and, and talking with Public Works about this to confirm that the number was right, uh, they reached out to Stormwater and they found that they have a grant program under which that engineering study can be handled. So I would like to take that off that money for this po pocket of money off, but I still want it done. Right. Just going to come from something that already All exists. All right, very good. Any, right. any more? Any more? Want to take off? <coughs> Anybody else? I just have a, yeah, Mr. Reddy. You have a twelve thousand in that right yes, for sir. the uh, resource center. Yes, sir. That's in there. But I guess what my question, one of my questions, as we went around the table, now uh, James Rogers' department, they will still get community development block grant funds, and is there any residue from? this budget that would carry over to the next budget which might give him over three million dollars so some of the things that were requested as far as the neighborhoods are concerned can come out of community block development grant funds as well as if he should have any residue left you know from the 17 budget so so i think if we look closely at the group the neighborhood facades and things of that nature um he might be able to you know take it out of uh Mr. Rogers Fund, uh, which is for housing more, 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 you know, than anything else, but it could just be a couple of dollars left, and to take the <clears throat> light on this budget, you know, um, I thought we were out of that spin nerve and nickel syndrome, you know. I think we need to be a little bit more conservative, as opposed to somebody calling in and say, "Well, like I need three hundred thousand, we put it on the table, and try to, you know, accomplish that." I think you need to be a little bit more conservative because you never know what's coming down the pipe. That's all I got to say. All right, so we, are, we're going to hear from maybe we really need to. Mr. Gritty, I, I, I agree with what you're saying, conservative with our, our money, but um, there are some communities that have been waiting for a long time and they just can't afford, we, we just can't afford to make them wait any longer. And my biggest concern um, with Mr. James Rogers' budget is, is that we look at his budget to make sure that he is able to do everything that we're asking him to do throughout this uh, city instead of taking away from his budget as well as the uh, parks, recreation, and open space to ensure that they have the money that is necessary for our, our city because I'm not, this summer, I am not going to continue to make calls in, call-ins um, concerning grass being cut and on our major fairways um, like I did last summer and we not have the money in both of those two budgets to take care of it. Right. Mr. Smith, one of the things we've been able to do is buy some of the, some of the equipment we talked about a couple hundred thousand dollars worth with 17 yes. monies. I think that'll help. That. I understand what Mr. Riddick's saying but I also know that we have stockpiles of money in our budget because we do stock money to do big projects and that if we ever needed to go, if we had an emergency, we could always look at some of those funds, you know, um, if we got into a pickle with that. Um, but what I wanted to ask is, um, Kenny, um, I think everybody around this table at some point has talked about a um, athletic facility of some sort, um, indoor um, use. I don't know if this is something that we want to look in. I don't know how much it would cost to study that um, it may even do a prelim design. I don't know if there's already something in the works, but we've talked about it for a couple of years now. Not as serious as we have this year, 
but with Virginia Beach's recent announcement of um, wanting to put 40 million in another structure, um, it only is putting Norfolk behind again on not having um, a sportsplex facility. And it may be something that's bigger, but I don't know if that's something that can be studied in-house um, through economic development or if we need to put 50000 aside to study that and figure out where the right location would be for this, um, you know, how big of a facility we would need in Norfolk to stay competitive to that. But I'll tell you, if there's well, any other thing that I hear from citizens all the time, it's um, about our recreation parks. where We have some good facilities we're falling behind um, in competition and we don't have to get to the level of Virginia Beach but we need to continue to raise the bar in some of those areas and that would probably be a, a, a good investment for this council to look down down the road yeah, I think that's something we, we would want to study this year you got a couple of threshold right. questions you got to ask of who's your market is your market citizens right. or is your market you know, trying to bring tournaments and things in and, and they're very different strategies depending on what you do there um, do you want the indoor facility do you want the outdoor facilities but I think um, I think we could come to you all with, with Daryl and his crowd with a plan, but I, I wouldn't ask you to start figuring out <coughs> big dollars in this budget. Right. No, absolutely I not, I, but, but I hear you. You have some money that we haven't spent yet, but if you come back next time and you say to do a study like that would be, you know, 50000 or something, maybe you can, you know, by the next meeting um, tell us what that would be, and let's get a, the conversation going, because if it may take two or three years to even... You know, get a design done. You know, at that point, and then we're really going to be behind at that point. So, Ms. Johnson. Yeah, and I'm in agreement with the sportsplex because I've been talking about it for three years, and I think we need to bring it forward and see yeah, what we can possibly go with it. I respectfully request that you stop calling on people. Because I'm running out. <laughs> 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 Mr. Mr. the ball is in your court. You had the easy dog. This, you know. That was easy. All right. This All right. is great. I got one. Oh, no. No, no, no. I'm not asking for anybody. I'm not asking for anybody. I'm not taking off anybody either. I was um, told that there was 250000 And so I was moderate and said, okay. There, I think there's a phrase that you can't sell that donkey yeah. twice. We sold it four times. <laughs> I, mean, I was just doing what I was told. Sure, you did well. Um, no, I just wanted to say, you know, overall, um, just having to uh, have it through some of these budget discussions and things like that. I think you guys put a great budget together. I think, Mr. Manager, you did a great job um, with working on, you know, identifying money for schools, um, something that's very um, important to all of us and that we all feel passionate about. And um, the one thing that I would say, we have a committee of one for education that never meets. And so as we go through these conversations, um, I think that there is some opportunity for us to meet and be briefed as a committee of one or however many people of that committee, of, you know, all, if you will, want to meet to get, um, you know, to have those conversations about schools. But I think you guys have done a really great job in terms of putting this together, meshing out everybody's wish list and want list and, and, and coming up with money for the schools. So, you know, kudos to Thank you. you all right, so James, you want to do, can you do a quick, uh, oh, good job. Right. quick update on the cigar factory? Yes, yes, sir. Uh, as everyone knows, uh, we went to court uh, on Monday, last Monday, for the cigar factory, and um, they had asked for an injunction, for a temporary injunction. Uh, uh, Judge Martin, I mean, Judge Doyle uh, did not uh, grant that uh, motion, and so we began, uh, uh, we signed the contract with, uh, with a contractor on that Wednesday, uh, that Thursday, and uh, we began tore one wall down, 
uh, on, on uh, Friday, and we will have it because of the big crane that we have to get out there. That will be on site uh, tomorrow or Thursday, and we begin demolition of the property. So again, we're moving forward, and uh, my staff is out there every day looking at it to make sure we get it done, and we will uh, watch that uh, uh, until it gets uh, completely uh, down. So. Thank you. Thank right. you, James. Ms. Mayor, Norfolk uh, is a vibrant city, and our vibrancy continues this month, May. It's bike month here in Norfolk. There are a list of events. Here's some events here in our city that are led by city staff. Um, that vibrancy spills over into our campaign about pedestrian and bike safety. We call it Travel with Care. And we're using people that you may know, some of whom here that live locally. So you'll start to see these on billboards, on buses, and other places. And what we're interested in is ensuring that you're not only safe on a bike, but just walking around. And so we're using uh, residents and or Girl Scouts, and then maybe even some city council people that you know. Oh, right. Please uh, don't Dr. put it on a billboard. Do <laughs> <laughs> you ride your bike? Do you ride your bike? So again, you'll start to see these next steps, but I just wanted to highlight uh, May is uh, Bike Month and continues the wonderful vibrance that we have in this lovely city. <coughs> thank you. All right. All right, Mr. Manager, thank you. All right. Bikes um, I'm going to ask uh, John Cohn next. So, so really the next uh, couple of things we're going to do are a couple of items that we didn't get to uh, before John Konak's going to give you uh, an update on NRHA's next steps for the uh, Digstown community renovations. Afternoon. Thank you very much. We appreciate this opportunity. And uh, like I'm going to talk just context about where we are. And Steve Morales, our uh, neighborhood uh, project director, is going to take us through uh, Digstown renovations. And if we have any questions that are too hard for him, I'll stand up and take the beating. Um, so, so on the first slide, Kim, are you moving them or am I hitting? Do I have, do I just touch the screen? We're not that. It's not magic. It used to be a touch screen. Technology was working. He's serious. Bernard remembers it used to be a touch screen there. I remember flipboards. All right, there you go. It moved. Um, Last summer, the uh, council approved uh, NRHA to go create two entities to seek low-income housing tax credits to renovate Young Terrace and Digstown. Uh, and, and part of that approval, we promised that we'd come back to you before we actually move forward. Um, and now we're coming back to you uh, with the news that there's been lots of discussions, and we've really we've stopped our efforts to actually seek low-income housing tax credits to renovate Young Terrace. Uh, we heard from the community and we heard from a lot of stakeholders that uh, that a renovation of, of that property was, was really just kicking the can down the road and not transformational enough. So we've taken that off of our plans to actually renovate. Um, but we do want to proceed with Digstown. Um, uh, there's lots of energy about the idea with Newton Creek and, and, and the transformation project that might be there, but we still have uh, the communities of Digstown, Grandy Village, and Oakley Forest that we need to make sure uh, still meet the needs of the residents. So Steve is going to take us through uh, our plans to use tax credits and debt uh, to do a renovation with Digstown, and you see that 422 units there. It's currently 422. Part of the renovation is actually um, vacating through attrition uh, and clearing a hundred of those units, or actually it's 91 units, but uh, the other nine are going to be combined to make bigger accessible units. So 
with that, I'm going to turn it over to Steve and, and hand him this thing, which probably works. John just stole a lot of the thunder there. Um, first and foremost, uh, we are not here asking for money. Um, as y'all just had the, the budget discussion, but we are looking for your support. Um, Digstown was originally built in 1952. Uh, it's 422 units, as John noted, 27 acres. It's 100% occupied. Uh, we have 35 to 45 uh, a units turnover annually, roughly in Digs and we reoccupy within 50, 15 days. Um, the last major renovation we've done out in Digstown was back in the early 1990s. Um, and at this point, we do need to do a, uh, a, a wholesale renovation in order to keep the, the, the community viable. Um, what we're looking to do is basically um, Digstown in three projects. Two are renovation phases, phase one and two. The first phase would be 222 units. The second phase would be 100. And then the third part of the project is the demolition of, selected demolition of 91 units that are peppered throughout the community. Um, this graphic just shows uh, the two phases. Um, actually, north would be this way. Um, so it's really uh, west and east, uh, phase one being the west side and, and phase two being the east side. Um, this graphic shows, and the dots are a little off on this one, sorry. Um, what this graphic shows is the buildings that are, that are, let's see if I can use the, the buildings that are in these dark gray and this hash, those are the ones that are gonna be demolished. There's 16 buildings peppered throughout the two phases, eight, eight buildings in each phase. The idea is that once we take these down, this will create more open space. Um, it will relieve a lot of sort of, we have a, we have a, a large problem with uh, um, parking congestion um, in the community, and when you do get into Digtown, it feels quite tight in there on the 27 acres with the 422 units. And so what we're designing with the demolition is essentially to relieve some of that feel, actually improve sort of the overall livability of the community. Um, the big question is, what's going to happen with folks? Um, there are three basic options that we provide for all the, the, the folks out in Digstown. Everybody's going to have to move at least once in this project, and that's because um, it's, a com it's a complete renovation. You cannot do, uh, have the family live in the unit while we do the, the full renovation with adding air conditioning, replace the roofs, um, kitchens, bathrooms, upgrade all the, the electrical. So everyone has to move at least once. So the first, the first item that we'll do, if folks want to stay in the community, we will have units become available, and so we'll be able to do temporary relocation. We're not doing the whole project at once. We do, we do it in phases, so we expect to be turning over four, four to five buildings at a time, and so we'll be working with those families on temporary re relocation. We'll also make available folks, for certainly when we're dealing with the demolition, um, to talk about permanently losing, uh, moving using a housing choice voucher. And then third, if they don't want to use a voucher and don't want to remain in the community temporarily, they can move to another public housing community. Um, we've surveyed the community, and right now it's about 65% of the folks would like to take a voucher and leave the community. Um, so our problem really isn't that, that we will have enough places um, within the community to keep folks there. It's actually we're going to probably have a greater problem with having enough vouchers to accommodate everyone that wants to leave. Um, we are hoping, and, and we will see that that... Um, a lot of the folks that raise their hand and say that they'd like to leave with a voucher, a lot of those folks end up not leaving. Um, and we are certainly hoping that as, as they see the renovation occur, that more will, will decide 
to, to remain in the community. But we are responsible for all relocation expenses and reestablishment expenses. So um, Dominion uh, um, uh, bills for, for uh, deposits and things of that nature, we are going to be responsible for that. Um, we actually started talking about this project um, to the folks out in, in the residents out in Digstown back in June of 2015, where we first went out and proposed the idea and got their feedback and input. Um, we've continued to meet with them on a regular basis to talk about the project and how it's coming along. Um, we've also, um, the authority has a resident advisory board, which is a combination of the, you can say, of the almost civic league presidents of each of the communities, <coughs> and they get together and, and advise us on our, on our annual plan as well as we bring to them our major projects. And then finally, we go to the, our board of, of commissioners regularly also and, and get their feedback, input, and advise them of how we're proceeding with the project. So next steps. Um, what we're, we're doing now is we're, we're working with VHDA. Um, we do have an allocation of, of tax credits. Uh, we're putting all the other <coughs> financing in place. We're going to VHDA for bond financing. Um, this is a RAD deal. and. That's an overly complicated item, but basically it, it'll, it will allow us to take debt on the property, which we can't do currently on public housing communities. Um, but at this point also, we need to submit a demolition application. And to do so, we come to the council actually and seek your support. Um, and it's a verbal support, which then we would come go to the city manager and ask them for a support letter um, based on council's um, action. Or, Mrs. Graves? I just have a question on the debt part. Um, Given the current administration in Washington, D.C., and their proposed cuts to all kinds of programs that would basically affect housing authorities across the country, um, if we're taking on debt, what's our plan to pay for it? Yeah, it's part of the RAD program. The simple part of it is this. If they take the operating fund, which currently is we use to operate Digstown will continue to do so. And then they bring in the capital fund and actually add it to that operating fund and put it as one single um, housing assistance payment, a half contract under the Section 8 program. And so the capital fund amount is the amount that we'll be using to pay back the debt. Now you are dead right. Um, you're con concerned about the, what the federal government's going to do. And it actually even uh, makes it, I think, more imperative that we go through a RAD conversion for Digstown for this project. Because the key thing is what, we're, what we see is they're going to chop at the public housing side of the ledger. But on the Section 8, and particularly the project-based Section 8 programs, they actually tend to not cut those as heavy. And then when you have a HAP contract, which is what this will be, they leave those alone. So we actually see this as a way to protect the funding for Digstown. I, I saw your presentation on this, and I was having trouble understanding it. So I asked multiple times just what the councilwoman asked. And I thought the answer then was that under the RAD, you have a contract with the federal government, which is binding beyond change in legislation, so secures the funding greater than being dependent upon the legislation, that you substitute appropriation for contractual obligation. Did I, did I misunderstand that? We actually have a contract for the operating subsidy, but it's subject to appropriation. Okay, so I misunderstood it. We think that the project-based rental assistance contract 
has been honored more. But I don't, I, I don't think there's anything that would keep Congress from, from eliminating the program. It could happen. But even I will say that even in the, the Trump proposal, which is for next fiscal year, they're cutting $6 billion from HUD, or he proposed cutting $6 billion from HUD. He did not touch the, the project-based rental assistance program. So we just think it's safer. I think Congress wanted to do it. They could. They could. They could eliminate that obligation, but we think it's a much safer obligation than uh, than the operating <coughs> subsidy that has been sliced just dramatically in the last ten years. Okay, okay. Mrs. Johnson. I see. Um, do we know or have a clear understanding of why the citizens don't want to come back? Um, once the renovation and development, the development takes place. Um, I mean, typically, when folks want to go out on a, on a voucher, I mean, they're they're looking for you know better housing in general, and that's whether to, to go into an area with better schools or they're looking for single family houses, something with more space. I mean, even with our renovation, and this is the part we have to you know we can't change, but so much um, is we can't make the units bigger, and so we're always going to be sort of behind the private sector when it comes to a modern apartment. This, this certainly will make them more livable. This will certainly make them better. Um, but we can't make them bigger. I mean, these things were built. These are concrete walls, concrete ceilings. Um, this, these are, are built to last forever in some respects. But what it doesn't mean is that it's very, it's very difficult and expensive to replace the major systems that, uh, that are associated with them. And so um, certainly these will be better, but not bigger. The, my, uh, my next question is um, in reference to the vouchers. Um, how do we go about, and, and I know it's the resident's decision, but one of the things we've been talking about um, as far as partnering is that the choice of neighborhoods where the vouchers are being used and the landlords in general um, that um, the residents, once they come out of public housing, and you're absolutely right, Mr. Morales, when we talk about we can't make the units better. So the bigger. Um, so they go into um, uh, vouchers, using the home vouchers. And it doesn't always necessarily mean that they're going into a better place is that you're providing. Um, but it does give them some size. And so coming through the school system, we found out, we're, we see that they're worse off than when they were in a good, a stable situation going into using a, a home voucher. So although you can't tell us where they are, we also see that some communities become extremely strapped with absentee landlords, and it, it really puts a hardship on communities that have a decent foundation, but now they too find themselves struggling to accommodate the, the home vouchers. And, and we're working on a cooperation agreement as part of the poverty study and, and working with Susan Perry. Okay. And okay. You know, we, we okay. certainly identify that we need uh, an outreach program for the Housing Choice Voucher Program, being more responsive to, to civic leagues and citizens as well as landlords. 
but also capacity building to make sure that our families who want to choose a voucher uh, will be as successful as they can. But the, but the, we also put into place that for the first 12 months, <coughs> if it's not working out, um, you can you can come back at the top of the list for a public housing <coughs> unit, and people take advantage of that. They took advantage of that in Broad Creek. Yeah. So it's. Even though two-thirds, and that's a, that's a number that's been consistent throughout all our surveys, it's really about one-third that end up really wanting to take a voucher. Because right now people hear voucher, and for the most part, they, they, they're thinking, I'm going to get a house. I'm going to rent a house, a single-family home. And depending on what their situation is and their individual capacity, that might not be possible, and then they'll end up staying, or they'll end up choosing not to go. And also... Um, when they they do find a place where they want to live and with the landlord, um, how often does um, NRHA go out to inspect um, to ensure that the families are doing pretty good? Because again, it's those landlords sure. where the you know the families are talked about and they don't feel that they can do any better and they're not willing to report the landlord once the living conditions aren't acceptable. We do a physical inspection before every move-in. We do uh, an annual physical inspection and then we do a, an inspection if there's any complaints, any anything's raised, any any issues with the, the resident is involved. So we we have a full inspection process. HUD has allowed us to go to two to three years but we've stayed at one because we think it's important to to make sure we, we tell everybody that we're out here at least one time a year. And I think maybe if we put something in place to encourage um, the residents, our citizens, that it's okay for you to report the landlord because they do have a sense of once they report something that's not working out where they live, that they're going to lose that place and they won't have anywhere to go. That is their greatest fear uh, once they move and out on their own. And if and if it doesn't work out, um, and it, and it's something the landlord, it's a physical imperfection or of some sort, that person does not lose their voucher. They get time to right. take their voucher and move to another place. So that's part of the choice is that yes. the landlord isn't guaranteed that this tenant is going to stay happy. They can take their voucher and go somewhere else. All right, Mr. Reddick. Yeah, um, Steve made this uh, presentation at the Southside Task Force meeting this morning, and a couple of the greatest concerns uh, was the uh, Section Three. Was that uh, how do you describe that? Section Three is a is 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 a program under HUD, and it, it basically gets into a sort of almost like a work requirement where we're looking for for new jobs that are created as a result of the the federal infusion of, of, of money essentially the project that uh, if new jobs are created then we work with the the employer the contractor in this case to make sure that they're out you know going going out and looking for residents and and I guess of the community of the area that would be section three that is um, it's a income basis it's an area basis but I should say this the city has a section three affirmative action plan we have a section three <coughs> affirmative action plan Every contract we enter into, including these renovation contracts, require the, the contractor to identify its workforce and identify its hiring needs, and any new hiring has to be referred through us. 
and they have to give us an opportunity. Now, th there's no guarantee they have to hire folks, but they have to give us an opportunity. We also uh, look at all payrolls during the work. So if, there's, if there are names that show up that are not on their original list, we can come back and say, you need to verify where this person came from. Did you transfer them from another job? We are very compliant, but unfortunately not very effective. Uh, you know, you we, know, we have uh, not hired a lot of folks through this program. You know, we fail miserably when we build a campus Stella school. Uh, guys and women who are across the street wanted to come and work, you know. So NRHA right now is looking for a letter from us to support this. Somehow, I believe that we need to be assured that um, when it comes to disadvantaged business goals and things like the Section 3, that you won't just take this letter and run and and then, you know, we have individuals who can, if they can't, somebody said this morning, if they don't know how to build something, they certainly can clean up from the demolition. There's just so many things that can be done. Um, one of the things that uh, hinders a lot of these small contractors is uh, insurance. If I'm not mistaken, when uh, HRT built the light rail in Norfolk, they incorporated insurance for these small operators. And so all of these things we need to put together so that when the dust clears, a lot of the individuals who were not really in good shape will be, you know, in better shape after this. All right, Mr. Bob Smith. Um, what, um, after you meet this morning, um, James Rogers shared, shared that concern. I think this is also an opportunity to continue to um, engage Norfolk Works. And you're, you're going to get a presentation, is it the ninth? <coughs> Norfolk Works is going to come in, and I think that's a piece that we want to. Uh, we're feeling good about the connection with uh, with Waterside and some of the other projects that okay. have happened. So I think we're learning a lot, and I think that's something that we're going to want to incorporate in this conversation as well. All right, Mr. Manager. All right, so that is, uh, so I, I do a little a time, a, time, a time check with you all, which is you've got the, um, the overlay for Park Place, which I think you all are pretty familiar with. You got, you've had it in your packet a couple times. Lenny's prepared to jump up and give you a presentation. So I'll look to you all to decide if you want it. A lot of those. All right, so then we've got uh, been cut, Lenny. Chuck uh, is going to come up and do a quick piece again on these tourism zones. I think this is um, timely, and it's going to be on your agenda shortly to to add these, but uh, I think all pretty straightforward good news, and Chuck assures me he'll be done by six. Great. Uh, good evening, everybody, and uh, I will make this very quick. Uh, tourism zones are a means by uh, which we can uh, have companies that can uh, uh, apply for uh, special incentives that uh, uh, may be useful in the uh, trying to get lodging, dining, retail, uh, sports and meeting facilities, outdoor recreation areas, and other theme park and event type venues and it's simply a, uh, again a, an area that we can designate we can have multiple zones uh, in the city to uh, uh, as a step to allowing these businesses that or opportunities that may come into these zones to take advantage of uh, in particular <coughs> the state tourism development financing program and we can do a little bit deeper dive on uh, the TDFP uh, at, a, at a different date and there's a, uh, a very nice uh, website that I can refer everybody to uh, with a 10-minute overview of, of that particular program. Currently the only one we have is was done specifically for the main project for the 100 main tourism so we created that zone in that area specifically so they could take advantage of that special financing program 
that allowed them to close a gap and take advantage of uh, uh, a, a special 20-year financing uh, program that allowed them to um, close that gap that, that existed on that particular project. Um, these are uh, areas that we are proposing for uh, tourism zones. And you can see that basically what we're trying to do is where we have uh, the ability to um, uh, do things like the military highway corridor and in particular the Ocean View Bayfront. Uh, and then also because of all the large number of event venues that we do have in our downtown area and along the Hampton Boulevard area that we're yeah. most likely another additional opportunity along uh, the lines of those uh, type of uh, qualifying uh, venues could uh, be encouraged to come into. So it really is a, a kind of a marketing tool that we can use. Uh, these zones are a step toward uh, and a requirement for uh, a company to participate in the state's program. And so what we would recommend is that the approval of an ordinance that would create these three zones, the downtown Norfolk area, the military highway corridor actually, uh, and in Ocean View along our bayfront. Glad to take any questions that you might have. So, so the, the TDFP, I, I think, is one of the most interesting um, uh, programs in the state in many ways because it, it, it affords you the opportunity to bring state money to a local physical development project that's, that's filling a um, tourism void or need. And so I think for, for very sound reasons, you all, those of you who were on council a few years ago, you, you, you drew a pretty tight um, zone. Uh, what, what we're seeing in other communities is really broadening that zone. And um, obviously what we're doing is saying let's, we're hearing a lot from Mr. Beagle about the opportunities to try and get a hotel in Ocean View. Uh, obviously we think there's other opportunities downtown, the military corridor, and what tends to happen, and we'll give you more detail on that, the, the tourism development financing program. The developer many times will have a gap because maybe they're going into a market that's, that's a little bit uh, um, challenging or they've got a product that pushes the envelope quality-wise. I think that's what you did with the Maine. And again, it affords you the, the ability to bring in some of that state money. Um, and so uh, we've got this ordinance on and then we'll, we'll keep building on this. But we want to get this in front of that. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, All right. Thank you very Mr. much. Manager. All right, Mr. Mayor, that is... Um, uh, the, the budget and strategic planning staff will be up all night trying to figure out how in the world to, to accommodate the, the conversation. It, it went from 510 to 520 will Go be a, a difficult it. time. <laughs> but we appreciate all the feedback. Can we do you one closed session now? We do. Yes. I'm sorry. Mr. Sorry. It will not be long. You can do this, Mr. I'm with the members of the Council Assembly on Thursday, May 2, 2017, at 6.05 p.m. for the Senate at Clause 7 of the Act. That is Consultation with Legal Counsel regarding the Cigar Factory. Ms. Graves? Aye. Ms. Johnson? Aye. Mr. McClellan? Aye. Mr. Riddick? Mr. Smeagol? Aye. Mr. Thomas? Aye. Mr. Wibley? Jake James. Mr. Alexander? Aye.